Hello and welcome to the Demographic Cast, a podcast where we discuss politics and social issues with a variety of different guests. This week we're joined by Jack Street and George Holt. George is a uh, 21-year-old parish councillor who works in technology. Um, he's also written several articles for us at Demographica, um, the latest of which we'll be discussing in this podcast. Um, but first of all, how are you guys doing? Good, thanks. Great. How are you? Yeah. Yeah, not too bad. Tired, but not too bad. <laughs> um, before we dive into any topics, uh, George, do you, do you want to give a bit of uh, a background as to why you're interested in politics, what got you into it, how you became a parish councillor? Yeah, sure. Uh, so, as you said, uh, parish councillor, working technology, bit of an IT nerd. Uh, so, we ask about why I'm into politics. Um, I would say I got into it uh, shortly after the Brexit vote when I uh, I was about, I think I was 16. And um, that was when I realised that how, how important it was to properly be engaged. And that, that was when I really started paying attention to it and started... Uh, using my voice to speak about it and speak to other people and learn more about uh, other people's views as well. But um, so and th- there's a number of issues that I I care about across politics. Uh, they haven't always been the same. Uh, I I pick up new issues that I, I learn more about. Uh, one of the ones that I've I've always been really keen on is education. Uh, sorry, education. <laughs> And uh, I did. I wrote an article about that for Demographica, and it's about the encouragement of uh, things like apprenticeships, which are a great alternative to uh, university and uh, other, other options. Uh, I also care about uh, things like uh, challenging the Chinese Communist Party. Uh, obviously, technology is something I'm very much on top of, and also uh, being a uh, being a conservative, uh, having a fiscally responsible government is something I care deeply about too. George, if you don't mind me me asking about how you you got into politics, obviously standing to be a, a parish councillor is quite a big deal, um, as, and at a young such a young age as well. Did you do you come from quite a political family, or have you always been encouraged to have debate and and discussion, or was it something that you kind of discovered off your own back? What were your influences? Uh, my my parents, uh, while not not being political, uh, they've never been party members, but. That they they do keep on top of it, but I, I wouldn't say I came from a political family. Uh, I I'm the probably the most political one in my immediate family. <laughs> yeah, and then so your like influences locally was it just people in the local Conservative Party or there anybody? Yeah, so I joined the party uh, after the Brexit vote, sort of straight away. Was it? Well, no, I didn't. Or... I um. So the Brexit happened in 2016. I, I was political for about a year, and then I joined the Conservative Party. So I was sort of. Uh, I was on the fence a little bit, so I sort of uh, I was a bit I was a bit of floating around. I'd say I, w- I was bit I was leaning towards Tory, but I wasn't quite there yet. And yeah. then in uh, after the 2017 general election, which wasn't really a great election for the Tories, that was uh, shortly after that I joined. Right. And how long have you been a parish councillor for? Uh, I was elected uh, just over a year ago now, so I'd say about right. a year and three months. Yeah. How have you found that? I it's really interesting it. being a yeah, yeah, yeah especially it's, it's, especially locally. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's great to be able to have have a voice locally, and yeah. being able to um, express my opinion and listen listen to other people around me and being able to use that for the betterment of where I live. Sure, and obviously you're massively involved in the Young Conservative network as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, it's so you talk about the, the Young Conservative networks. So that was. Um, 
something that a group of friends and I founded to essentially give access to a to young members like uh, like like I am and I was, I was younger once uh, to give them access to the decision makers, the politicians in our party, because mm. when when a lot of people join, they just sort of, they just sort of join and then they're there and not a lot happens. And so I, I thought, or we me and my friends thought, would start this group and we'll try and we'll try and help them out, give them access to talk to people and ask them questions, and it's worked out really well. Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. It looks really great the, the way you do. Sorry, Brett, I don't want to take away from your <laughs> no, 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 no. I, just one more. Um, I uh, I wondered how you thought the Conservative Party. Obviously, you started the Young Conservative Network. You and friends off your own back. How have you found the Conservative Party have welcomed young members? What do you think they could do more? What have they done well? Um, do you think that young people are particularly? Do you feel involved and engaged um, in the in, in the Conservative Party or? So there's two aspects when you join the Conservative Party. Uh, you've got the aspect that you join your local association, and there's the aspect that you join the uh, the central party, which is run all over the country. So obviously, so I'm from Dartford, so I joined the Dartford Association. And uh, so the Dartford Association has been great. It's a very it's a very active association. Uh, as, as soon as I joined, I, I was encouraged to come along to meetings, all their events, and I was immediately brought into the t- decision-making process. So I, I, I immediately felt very much included, and right. that was one of the reasons why I, uh, I got involved so quickly after joining, because I, I was lucky to have a really, really good local branch. Uh, the party, essentially, uh, initially, um, they didn't do a lot of young conservative things, and I think that was because they were immediately coming off the really tragic legacy, uh, legacy of the conservative future, so they were still figuring out how to engage young conservatives after that that tragedy happens, yeah. and um, but what, what, I've, what I've had locally has been a really great experience. But now the conservative, conservative party essentially, uh, recently uh, they've been picking up uh, how to engage young people a lot better. So there's a there's a new well, not new he's been around for uh, just under a year I think a new vice chair for for youth in the party Andrew Bowie MP, and uh, he's done a really good job of uh, of uh, helping the party pick up there. Right. Hmm. It seems to be a bit of a recurring theme that um, young people or th- the parties need a bit of help trying to get the the youth in- involved and relating to them. Well, yeah, it's um, it's 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 a, it's a matter of consequence. It's just that um, people at the top generally aren't young, so they're not really going to have a brilliant idea at it. So that's where groups like Young Conservative Network, which is run by young people, can help them step in. What do you think? Yeah. What, what do you think that obviously engaging politically with younger the younger voter demographics has been a challenge for the Tory Party? What do you think are maybe some of the reasons for that more in more recent elections? And what do you think the party can do to sort of up its engagement with young people and try and win some of the votes off of a demographic that's almost entirely Labour focused? That's a really good question, actually. Uh, so I, I joined the Conservative Party because at the time I didn't trust Labour, uh, given their given their records. If you've read my most recent article, you know I, I don't trust Labour. We will party. get onto that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, di- I didn't I didn't trust the, I didn't trust their record, but I don't really I don't really like to run negative campaigns. Uh, so I wouldn't I wouldn't want anyone to join the Conservative Party just because they don't like Labour. I would want it to be based on the Conservative Party's own merits. Sure. So I would like to sell them on. Uh, first off, if they're not from England, I like to sell them on the power of the union, uh, because especially in Scotland, that that's where we really need to really make a good argument for. Uh, obviously, another one is Brexit. We need to sell the benefits of Brexit, and obviously sell the benefits of uh, fiscal responsibility and not not overspending. Hmm. 
Uh, should we dive into the uh, your yeah, the topic about your article? Um, so yeah, George recently wrote uh, an article called "Can Labour Be Trusted," um, right. in which he you basically <laughs> is it fair to say you basically criticised uh, a variety of Labour tactics in recent years. Mm-hmm. Um, what made you write the article? What made you want to write it? Yeah, so it didn't start off like that actually. Um, so Jackie, if I hope you don't mind me disclosing this, but there was the uh, the article that came out before that. Which was hmm. about about the Conservative Party being xenophobic. Yeah, I, I get better the doubt. I gave it a read, and I I I read it and realised okay, this th- this needs to be challenged. It's not really it's not it's not giving everyone the the the, the full picture here. It's it's just trying to claim that having a uh, a uh, strict immigration policy is xenophobic amongst other things, which I I don't think is true. So uh, so initially I I wrote this article. As a response to say the Conservative Party is not xenophobic, we are an open party. And initially, I to, to make that argument, I had to critique how Labour made their arguments, and then it, and then it just sort of spun into this uh, into this other thing where I was talking about how uh, how Labour couldn't be trusted to make his arguments against us, and that's how it as uh, I got transformed into that actually. Right. What are your thoughts on on Labour generally? What am I- <laughs> I, I don't. I, uh, <laughs> my thoughts on Labour, like, as in, where do you where do you think it's failed in recent I, years? Like all political parties, Labour is, is a party of people, and I, there there are good people in the Labour Party. I know uh, Jack, and <laughs> I, I've sp- I've spoken to to people in the Labour Party. I I've got I've got nothing against anyone personally in the Labour Party. It's just that, especially the people at the top, uh, I feel like that needs some some major changes about how they conduct themselves. What 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 are your thoughts? Obviously, you focus quite a lot on on Corbyn's leadership um, in in your article. And, uh, yeah, well, you know the the leadership of Jeremy Corbyn, and uh, sort of suggest in your article that, that we need to wait and see if Keir Starmer will start to tackle um, the sort of endemic issues in the party more strongly. What have your thoughts been on? Uh, Starmer recently, because obviously for for the Tory party, it face you face f- far more of a threat from Keir Starmer as you do as you did from Jeremy Corbyn. We can see that reflected in the polls. We can see that reflected in approval ratings. Um, so, from your point of view, what do you think? How do you think he's fared since he joined, and what do you think, from a, a conservative point of view, you need to do to to push back against some of the his leadership? What's gone wrong in the the polling so far? Yeah, so there's two issues there. You, you, two, two, two questions you, you pointed out there. So I'd say the first one was: Has Keir Starmer uh, improved on Jeremy Corbyn on tackling anti-Semitism? Uh, I would say it's a, it's a yes. Uh, mm-hmm. He, he has, I think, has been reflected by a lot of, lot of opinions of members that I've spoken to, and also when he had, when he sat Rebecca Long Bailey. Uh, I, I, I actually, when he did that, I gained a, quite a bit of respect for him for doing that. Um, you say about uh, Keir Starmer making gains in the polls, uh, which, which which looks fairly accurate, and uh, I would say yes, he is much more he is he's a, he's a much more uh, danger to the current government than Jeremy Corbyn ever was. Uh, if you say if you ask about the what we need to to, to tackle this, um, if you if you look at Keir Starmer from a political sense, sure. It, um, he doesn't really have any policies. He he's he's sort of here. I feel like he just wants to be this entity that says I'm I, I'm not Boris Johnson. So as soon mm. as crises uh, crises like the 
uh, COVID-19 happens, he can just sort of be there to soak up, look, I'm not, I'm not Boris Johnson. And so he can say, I, I'm an alternative. But he's not really yeah. giving us any ideas of what to do better. Well, that, that, that tactic has obviously appealed to some people. Yeah, it really it? has. And um, like, so do you... Do you think that no? Do you think that I, I, on the policy front, I would tend to agree with you. I think that um, my biggest criticism of the Labour Party at the moment is has been as somebody that is incredibly policy focused, the lack of policy announcements or lack of um, flagship policies that have been adopted. He he released a, a ten uh, pledge list when he was running for leader, which seemed to outline some of his. Um, aims a, a few of those have been um, uh, his check seems to have changed or the party seems to have changed their mind on a few of those since he's been elected it's not quite clear what their their positions are on certain issues so I would agree but as far as um, him and his electability that has obviously appealed to a section of the country and the, the reason that I ask is is do you think that people just trust the Labour Party more now Starmer's in power with or now Starmer's the leader which is why he's climbed in the polls or do you think that there's uh the, do you think the leadership of boris johnson has been a factor in that that he, keir starmer is not boris johnson people feel like boris johnson hasn't done a good job in the past six months and therefore they're moving their support towards the labor party so i believe if, if you look if you look at the polls uh and you, you can separate it out uh support for keir starmer is relatively higher than it was before but support for the labor party as an entity is still relatively low a lot of people still don't trust labor they just trust Keir Starmer. so he's maybe he's got a problem where his own party is, is holding him back here but the, po- the polling's fairly even right yeah i know yeah 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 so, so for, for 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 Keir versus boris yes the, the polling is is getting to the point where it's neck and neck but if you, if you look at people's opinion polling of, of the labor party it's still it's still low so the opinions versus Keir Starmer versus the Labour Party, that's where there's still a bit of difference. So Right. I was I was yeah, I was referring more to voting intention. Mm-hmm. Um which which seems to be even and then approval when we look at approval rating, Starmer's approval rating is higher than Boris Johnson's is. Yeah, well we're we're going through a, a truly horrible crisis right now. Sure. And the the government the government has made mistakes so, and when it has made mistakes it's it's fessed up to it and, it, and it's made the changes needed to, to move on. And I, I hope it continues to have to do it in the future. So it's relatively natural the Conservative Party is going to get a few bumps in opinion polls because it's it's having to go through an unprecedented time right now, having to make very very difficult decisions. Yeah, do you think they have fessed up to their their errors enough? Um, is there any errors in particular you're thinking of that they haven't? Uh, lack of testing, goals met, lo- lockdown not introduced in an effective enough way some of the u-turns that that they've done maybe the dominic cummins fiasco the u-turns are where they're are, are where they're saying we, we've got this wrong we're going to change our minds uh where with, with testing maybe in retrospectively it, it, it could have been done faster but we were limited with, with what we had at the time and it was done as, as quickly as possible for them are you happy with the level that that's at now Do, uh, when looking at, at the covid um, in, we're looking at COVID in particular and the regulations that are in place at the moment, the testing levels that are in place at the moment. When we look at maybe some of our counterparts or some of our friends in Europe, the, the, the sort of testing that they're doing, I'm thinking Germany in particular, are you happy with the, the level that we're at at the moment and the direction that we're going in? Well, I, I think I think as, I think think as this moment right now, we're, we're testing higher than Germany. 
but so w what I would want to move the UK closer towards is that Europe as a whole was completely unprepared for the for the COVID crisis. We, we, Europe hasn't seen it, seen this level of crisis in a very very long time. What we actually want to be moving closer towards is other countries in Asia, like South Korea, which were able to be much more prepared for a crisis like this, obviously because they had seen, they had seen something similar before with SARS, uh, so that they're much more prepared. So I, th I think, I don't think we should be looking at Germany. Germany aren't that great. Uh, um, the testing so in I, Germany, I'd say, the, I'd the availability of tests. What's, what's yeah. going on in Asia? The availability of tests in Germany is far better than it is in this country. Yeah, but I think on the pure quantity of tests, we are getting higher. Yeah, but, but if people are lacking tests, that's surely that's not the uh, that's not the focus. Yeah, I, I, I do I do think we could, we we could we could be better in, in availability of tests. Uh, I, I saw I saw a map recently which saw that uh, especially in the north in the north of England, tests are hard to get. You, you, we can make we can make an argument because there's there's more cases there. But yeah, I would definitely say the government probably should should be trying to ramp up its capacity, and I, and I think it is. Like there's there, there's not a lot I can say to you right now which will which will change that. The government are trying to increase testing capacity, but and they're, mm. and they're doing their best. I would um I would agree with you that we should be looking to to uh, specifically places in in Asia that have dealt with the the crisis better than we have. Though I, I definitely think that we should have um moved more quickly in the direction that. That in in the same direction that they did, um, whether they they had more preparedness, fair enough, but they probably had less time to tackle the crisis um, than we. It's did. also a bit more of a of a culture over there, isn't it? Yeah, to, yeah. To um, they're more prepared for the sort of viruses and and yeah, uh, I, I, national medical issues, yeah, health issues. Yeah, um, just to move back to uh, the your your article originally. Um, and you, you mentioned that you didn't think that the Conservative Party had a problem with xenophobia. Um, mm. Could you ex maybe expand on that a little bit? Obviously, it's a criticism that gets levelled at the Conservative Party quite a lot. Um, you obviously disagreed with Sir Hedge's article about um, about xenophobia in the Conservative Party. So I just wondered what your thoughts were now on, on the levels of xenophobia. Do you think it's a problem at all? Do you think it's something that was a problem that has been tackled more? Yeah, they're, they're in, in every party, and you, you see it in Labour too, there, there are always the extreme wings which have really, really abhorrent views. And when there, and when there is someone with those views uh, find themselves in the Conservative Party, I've noticed the Conservative Party have been very good at stamping them out very, very quickly. I saw recently an activist had made a, a really horrid remark and she was, and she was uh, suspended within the day. And so I, I, I believe the Conservative Party is, is, on, is on top of this issue and, and they do take it very seriously. And as I put on my article, if the Conservative Party is xenophobic, why, do, what, why, do, why is their cabinet full of people who are descendants of immigrants? Because we aren't xenophobic. We, we are not worried about where you came from. We don't, we, we don't, we don't think, think about where your parents were born. That isn't a factor to us. Or isn't a factor, and it isn't a factor to me either. <laughs> Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, I, I mean, the, the, the xenophobia thing, I think, or and in particular, a more uh, virulent form of Islamophobia has been something that's infected the Conservative Party for a while. Um, and unfortunately, it doesn't, I, I wouldn't say that it's been maybe tackled as uh, strongly as uh, it should have been. There was obviously an inquiry that was led, that was deeply criticised by um, the Muslim community in this country as not being strong enough. Uh, and as 
Labour have very rightly had to do. Uh, there hasn't maybe been enough engagement with these communities to work out what what the communities themselves want to see in the party tackling these problems. That was one of my biggest criticisms of the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn, was that there wasn't enough engagement with the Jewish community about how the Labour Party can create more of a welcoming space for Jew for Jewish members, um, and for the Jewish and how to appeal to the Jewish community yeah, more at large. Yeah, what happened with the Labour Party and, and their inquiry? Uh, what I wrote about my article. It's just that. I don't think the original inquiry that was done independently, sorry, that, that, that was done independently by Shami Chakrabarti could have, yeah. could have possibly been taken seriously because why would you have a member of your own front bench doing an sure. inquiry? But the, uh, the the same could be said for the, the inquiry into Islamophobia in the Tory party. Well, it, w it wasn't led by a member of the front bench. No, but it was still uh, widely criticised by the, the Muslim community as not being thorough enough um, and cases that um were were categorized or catalogued by watchdogs weren't um weren't responded to effectively it was it was an independent inquiry as well right yeah so so when uh, so when i believe the independent watchdog came to came to the conservative party uh they said they trusted us to do our own inquiry after after we gave them certain assurances. I believe it was the that, Equality that, and that, Human Rights Commission. Yeah. yeah. So I I believe that that's going on. That, that's still going on now. Uh, but when when looked at the Labour Party, they decided to do their own inquiry because they didn't trust the Labour Party to do to do that inquiry. So I think it says a lot of the Conservative Party is trusted by the Commission and the Labour Party isn't. So yes, I I, I do agree with you. Islamophobia is uh, is abhorrent. It is a disgusting thing. And it should it should be tackled, and I really hope the Conservative Party is tackling it, and I think they are. I, I I've seen cases when remarks have been made like that, and the Conservative Party has dealt dealt with it very efficiently. But um, it if anyone's listening to this and you do see a Islamophobic remark or action, report it, please. Sure. Do you do you think the case is a little bit um, what's the word? Uh, diminished, I suppose, when you've got a a leader. Uh, when the the leader of the Conservative Party has made arguably Islamophobic and other, um, I don't want to say, uh, maybe racist is a strong term, but racist remarks. Yeah. Well, I'm not Boris Johnson, but all I, all I can say for him on, on, on that front is that he, he did he did apologise for, for what he said in the past and he he has moved on. Yeah, I mean, I mean it's obviously, you know, I, I think that Boris Johnson... Uh, over the years and even now is somebody that has said things um, uh, to further his individual position at the time and I, I think in many ways I've, I have less respect for that than somebody that has strong views in a certain area and is upfront about about those views. I, I do think that a lot of the things that Boris Johnson has written specifically for The Spectator in the past have been disgraceful um, but also the the thing with with Boris Johnson is is that it's very hard to pin him down on any of those views because a they they happened so long ago like you say and um, not all of them the letterboxes one was fairly recent when, what year was that uh, I'm not sure it was maybe was it 2017 or something was it really I can do something I let me yeah, do a I mean, research before I uh, that is obviously disgraceful and I I think if if Jeremy Corbyn had have said something that outwardly um, racist uh, the, the press would have had an absolute field day and I do think George that this is where you can see a slight disparity in how seriously these issues are taken 
anti-Semitism in the Labour Party was not tackled strong enough, uh, strongly enough for years, um, and it was uh, let let to be out of control. And I think it's great that it's now being tackled more strongly. And I think there's probably still a long way to go, um, but to have consistency in that view, I do also think that. Uh, the the uh, more blatant Islamophobia that that can be seen in the the Tory Party, especially by people like Boris Johnson, um, needs to be called out a, a lot more strongly by those in the party. And it's obviously difficult, right? Because he's yeah. the leader. So and... so yeah, w- w- with the letterbox remark, um, that was in two thousand and eighteen. Just yeah. To, to right. So when w- when he was writing that, he he he, w- he was writing it in favour of, of people being able to wear burqas, and, and what he said, uh, it was completely it was completely in bad it was completely in bad taste. It wasn't. It wasn't a good thing to say, and I, 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 I don't believe you, you. You should you should say things like that, but um, I, I believe he's he's moved on. But he he wasn't saying it out out of hatred for pe- for for people who follow Islam. He it was it it didn't it didn't come from that place. It, it's it's underpinned by ignorance more than anything. Like yeah, that, I, 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 w- I would say it was a, it, it, it it was an ignorant remark. It, it it was a moment of error. He he probably he probably shouldn't have said it, but he he didn't say it out, out of a place of hatred. He wasn't saying it because he didn't like people who followed Islam. No, it, the context was that he was saying it because uh, he was talking about a burqa ban that had been put in place in Denmark, yeah, and he was speaking out um, against that. Yeah, but that he was saying that look that wearing burkas looked ridiculous and compared it to, to that yeah an odd way to to make an argument for free for freedom to wear what you you like to then mock the people that you're supposedly standing up for and which is why i say that it comes of a position of ignorance but i think that's who boris johnson is i, I think he has those those views because he is ignorant um and it, it comes from a place of of ignorance not um not engaging with those communities well enough and, and you, you mentioned that the cabinet and having most diverse cabinet ever which is all well and good but i think fundamentally the whether you're pro diversity or pro equality of opportunity for example comes down to what you push in policy and what i haven't seen from this conservative party or really conservative parties in the past 10 to 15 years is a position that promotes equality of opportunity for disproportionately represented communities in the past I don't know what you think about about that, George. Well, um, I think the Conservative Party is the is is the party of equality of opportunity. Um, the, the, the fact that the the government is agnostic to to the, the color of your skin or or your gender that 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 is equality of opportunity, is it not? Well, it, no, it's not. It's not good enough just to say that you're you're not discriminatory. You have to show that through the policies that you enact and the sort of society that you create. Well, there's, and there's, but there's also other places where the, the the Conservative Party has has been able to promote equality of opportunity. Things like things like apprenticeships have a, have a, have enabled people from all from different backgrounds to be able to to to, to launch careers re, uh, relatively quickly. But uh, do you think the party in itself is representative of uh, represents a diverse party? Maybe that's not the right wording, but you know, <laughs> I don't know if you know what I mean. Well, I don't have the statistics for uh, diversity in the Conservative Party in front of me, but if it, as you pointed out earlier, if, if if you look at the very top of the Conservative Party, it, it is a diverse place. Yeah, I do actually have some statistics for the uh, the, the 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 diversity in the party, um, and only twenty four percent of Conservative candidates elected in the last election are female, mm-hmm. um, and six percent are. Uh, BAME. Mm-hmm. Now the Conservative cabinet does have seventeen percent BAME, but still only twenty four percent female. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so do you think that sort of, I don't, to me, that doesn't sound particularly diverse, specifically on the gender front. Well, in, ter in, terms, in terms of diversity, I'm not exactly sure what you're asking to propose here. We, uh, the, the Conservative Party get their candidates based on people who, based on people who come forward to stand. Uh, so if, if that's who we come forward, if that's who we, if, that, if that's who we come forward to stand, that, that that's who stands. But what we aren't going to get in is where we decide our candidates based on their gender, based on the colour of the skin, because that is not equality. If we if we decide that it's like okay, we suddenly need we, we need to make sure fifty percent of our candidates are female, which would be a great thing to have, but it's not it's, it shouldn't ever be a, a, a requirement because that, then then we start shutting people out. And then you, you start getting to things like all women shortlists, which I, I think are incredibly offensive. So, George, uh, when we're talking about equality of opportunity, and whilst I respect this conversation about diversity of cabinet, again, I want to come back to providing real equality of opportunity. Is it not equality of opportunity to ensure that people of all backgrounds have a chance to be able to stand? Yes, of course they do. So if your party isn't appealing to those who come from um, minority backgrounds, does that not mean the party has a job to do in terms of uh, providing a quality of opportunity to, to people? If, if you have candidates, that if, if the, the party as a whole isn't represented um, by people from all different backgrounds and you have, and this is what the Labour Party does, and you have people from minority backgrounds that want to be able to stand, those people are prioritised because the Labour Party wants to encourage people from disproportionately represented backgrounds to stand. Well, it's, it's, not about, it's not about pushing people forward just because they want to... Th th those backgrounds is, isn't correct to me. I, I've been a Conservative, as, you, as I talked about earlier, I've been a Conservative Party for a fair few years now, and I can see the Conservative Party does appeal to, 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 to multiple backgrounds. May, and maybe the Labour Party does that on a, on, a, on a wider scale, but the Conservative Party, it, do, it does have it, it does have people from, from a diverse range of backgrounds there. And then when we come back to, to policy implementation... To you, what, what would be the conservative policies over the last 10 or 15 years that have promoted equality of opportunity in society? Oh, if you ask me to call out particular policies, um, hmm. I just earlier, as you're, you're much more of a uh, policy, head, policy head than I am, <laughs> uh, I, I, I'm a I'm, I'm not. I'm not too big on policy lists. To me, to me, so to me, this is where the 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 problem the problem lies. I think if if you want to be a party that really and truly promotes equality of opportunity in society, you have to enact policies that mobilise areas of society that are disproportionately impacted. So, for example, we have um, poorer areas in London per se tend to be those that. Um, have ethnic minorities in them what what are the reasons for that well we have a lower rate of education we have less job opportunities those jobs are less stable they're worse paid so tackling these issues and the root causes of these issues is where p parties should have their focus and I, I i personally don't think where that's where the conservative party have had their focus i think it's as i say great that um people from minority backgrounds have been pushed forward uh pushed into um front bench positions and i've said this repeatedly i wouldn't, I wouldn't I, say they've been pushed that, there i'd say they've no, done no, okay, maybe that was the wrong word yeah <laughs> uh, sure but i was just about to say probably the only person who i would give credit to in the conservative party in the handling of covid would be rishi sunak he is the standout member 
of that of the of the current cabinet um and you know maybe the push there was the the wrong the wrong phrase to use but you know you know what i'm where i'm coming from i think that there is far less focus on substance of policy of impacting those that are um from poorer minority backgrounds than there is say in the last labor manifesto well to go back to what you said earlier about policy is uh, I'll come back to that th- this Conservative government uh, since it was elected in 2010 has been a great champion for apprenticeships, which which I think are a great opportunity to bring bring people from uh, less advantaged backgrounds into uh, in, into careers they really want without having to go to university. So I, I would say that it, I would say using apprenticeships has been uh, one of the key things that they've done. Yeah, I mean, I don't know uh, the the rates in which apprenticeships are are, are taken up by those from, from poorer backgrounds. Obviously, um, you're somebody that has accessed apprenticeships in the past and it works brilliantly. I'm completely pro-apprenticeship. I think that uh, it's a great way to get people into work and get people the experience they need. I would also say that there are uh, a lack of well-paying jobs for, for young people in this country. You know, zero-hours contracts is would be another area where I would say that needs to be, that needs to be tackled. Um, and again, you know, I, I haven't necessarily seen the policy substance to promote this this issue. And I think that this is somewhere where all political parties need to improve. It's all well and good saying that you're for these things, but it needs to be reflected in what you vote for and what policies you push forward. Um, and that's that's an area that I think personally has been lacking. And whilst I respect your the, the theme of the thread of your your article, um, I, I do think that, that there is a probably a lack of substance there. Well, if you if you want to talk policies, I, I, I would like to see some, like, I'm I'm open and I think the Conservative Party is open to see other policies w- which come from other places. Like, if 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 we're not doing it, we'll happily see it from other parties. And the, the Conservative Party in the past has adapted opposition policies where where they think they're good. So maybe if we if we could see some of those surface, we could adapt them. Yeah, for sure. And I would say that that's a, a criticism I would, again, level at the Labour Party is a lack of policy ideas. And you can't just run for the next four years on saying we're not the Tories, vote for us. That's not yeah. good enough. So, yeah, I think if, if we're coming back to the the, the, the article uh, and so like w- w- what I'm trying to say there, a large part of it is that uh, the Labour Party has this horrible tendency to try like because the the party can have policies and and they they can have policies which have been successful in the past and it's a real shame that they don't lean on this uh and they they would instead just use uh really cheap politics really cheap uh, politics like misusing amendments for headlines i I wrote uh, two paragraphs about that where they've used use amendments in parliament that that they knew would fail they knew didn't they knew didn't make sense uh just because we have to make a good headline and then you saw, yeah, where they amended the fire safety bill to to essentially uh, to essentially break it, so they could say that the Conservative Party voted against it. Yeah, I did a bunch of research into that and was find found various pieces of documents and in articles and was left very confused by it because from what I gathered, it the amendment was made to implement. Um, St- the first stages of the oh sorry the, the recommendations from the first stage of the Grenfell inquiry as soon as possible rather than wait for the inquiry to complete to complete yeah so, um, so essentially, just... essentially yeah what, what they tried to do is they uh, they, they asked to uh, to implement the recommendations effectively immediately which would be a nice thing to do but the problem is 
before you do these things, you, you, you have you have to consult and you, and you have to hear the full story, because if you don't, you then potentially leave, leave these recommendations open to legal challenges if they, if they haven't been properly fleshed out yet. So what they try to do is that they, they try to bring that forward before they can properly be consulted on, uh, and then you, you don't understand. But this amendment was tabled back in May. No, no I think it's it March, we, actually. We were talking about a couple weeks ago. Yeah, but the, it was originally tabled in, in, in March. Mm. Um, they voted on it a couple of weeks ago. Um, so I assume they probably discussed it during that period, or at least um, their research was done into it. But the main point of it was to try and um, prevent Grenfell happening again as soon as possible, or at least put measures in place before waiting for the inquiry to finally finish, because there are hundreds of buildings around the country that still have... Uh, the similar cladding to what Grenfell. Um, yeah, but but, Grenfell. but but the point of the inquiry, yes, is to stop that from happening again. But if you don't let the inquiry run its course and try to do these things prematurely, then uh, and th- 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 then you're not doing the right job. I think the point is that it, it might be seen as being a lack of urgency, too little, too late. As Brett said, um, these buildings do have similar cladding mm-hmm. or the same cladding on, including, I believe, the one that's opposite the Grenfell Tower, um, and that those those buildings, if there's a fire, they're not going to wait for the inquiry to finish. Um, if if that if there's a, another horrific accident like there was at Grenfell, those buildings will go up. And I, I think that the criticism is that this issue hasn't been taken seriously. It wasn't taken seriously enough at the time. Um, it isn't being uh, it isn't urgent enough now. And then when and when you have people in the Tory party, for example, like Jacob Rees-Mogg, who believes that the people in Grenfell died because they lacked common sense. I, I, I think that, that that really reflects the the issue here. I don't know if it's much consolation to people who live in these buildings or the families that were impacted by those that died um, in in the, the Grenfell tra- tragedy to, to hear uh, a lack of action because we want to, to allow the inquiry run its course when we know that there are things that can be done now that would would help to prevent that that kind of thing happening but you in see, the future. Yes, the problem we, we we don't know because we haven't let the inquiry run its course yet. If if we start taking these recommendations out before they're done, then we go right we run into a whole host of problems. So say for example, one of these recommendations and we implement it immediately before knowing the full consequences of, of implementing that recommendation, you, you you can leave it open to legal challenges and it could it could then be reversed. Or or would you rather wait and get the and get the right recommendations that are less open to those challenges? And be able to implement them robustly i think when we're looking at, at justice for what occurred we don't need to wait for the inquiry to finish i, I think that we know that not enough was done i think we know that the yeah, company yeah, that course, cladded grenfell the, yeah, the, the, knew the, the, that this the, was illegal was cladding. With, with, with the cladding and and that's why we have the inquiry so we just need to listen to what the inquiry is telling us and not and not try and implement them before they're before they're done but would you would you say that to the people living in towers where that have the same cladding that are at risk what what do you ask me to say to them sorry to, to just wait i'm not asking i don't want to tell anyone just to wait because if it could be potentially dangerous but what what i'm saying is if you implement these recommendations before before they're finalized you go you you're going to run into problems is it that that they're not done yet yeah i mean i mean i would just sort of reiterate my my point of um, saying that there are things that could be done now to first of all get justice for those that were were impacted. I mean that we don't have to to wait. There's not going to be any 
complications in in building regulations if we if we get uh if we hold those accountable for for what happened is there sorry what, what was your question i didn't quite hear you if we if we if we hold those who are responsible for the tragedy accountable now there's not going to be any implications down the line i'm 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 sort of less whilst i think the cladding should be bloody removed from these buildings um i i'm more talking about getting justice for what happened at grenfell yes there absolutely, there absolutely does need to be justice and i really hope there is but to, to, to come back to the original point we need to implement the recommendations properly and safely in a, in a, in a way that can, can't be challenged yeah. if we if we implement them before they're done it's like it would be like inf- implementing a law half halfway through it's been written it wouldn't work so if if they're not implemented if the recommendations aren't implemented at the end of the inquiry no i i i really i really think they will but we just we just need we just need to finish the consultation first it would right. be like uh, it would be like trying to build houses if, uh, if, if the council tried to build houses without doing a proper consultation it wouldn't be yeah, right I, 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 yeah I, I disagree um, I think that, that we, we need to see more far more urgency um, being taken and, and whilst I, I, I respect the, the view that um, more time and we need to be absolutely sure that these things are going to, to work and then maybe waiting for the end of the inquiry will help that I do believe that there are things that can be done now to minimise something like Grenfell happening again now, um, and I don't see that that happening. And that would be my. No, would be I, my I, I I completely agree with you. We do need to implement policies that stop a tragedy like this happening forever again, but we also need to make sure we're implementing the right things. I don't. The party doesn't want to implement something which is which isn't done yet. It doesn't sure. want to implement the wrong thing. Why do you want to? Why Why do you want to implement something that 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 that, that wasn't correct? N- not. Not not reading properly into policies is is the reasons how how we get this these these horrible disasters because things weren't properly thought through in the first place. So we need to we need to really think through how we're going to solve this problem. But these recommendations they were planning on uh, putting in or that sorry the Labour Party was was urging to be put in place um, were came from the Grenfell inquiry anyway. Yeah, but um, they, they, they were the ones yet. that had been decided on after the first stage of the inquiry was done. Yes, but so the, 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 were they? Were the they? Were they? Duty to, to, to consult on these. Yeah, were they? Were those recommendations finalised recommendations, or were they still under review? I believe that they were. Oh, sorry, go ahead. Sorry, I I, I thought they were finalised um, to the point where they decided what was wrong with uh, the cladding of the buildings and and who should be responsible for making sure that uh, the the buildings adhered to certain fire regulations. Um, and that therefore them being responsible should or putting this this uh, these recommendations in place would make them responsible for it and urge them to change it right a government has has a, has, has a duty to to implement to, to, to consult on their policies before they're implemented they have to make sure they're implementing, implementing the, the right policies so it, so yes it makes sense that they have to make sure that they're confident this will work yeah. before they implement it so it, well, ma- it makes sense to, sure. to do uh, to do this sort of check on it I think we can all agree that it should happen faster. Yeah, I, 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 if if they're the right policies, I would want to see them implemented tomorrow. But we don't know that yet. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Um, shall I move on to our current events section? Yeah. If we just um, just I just want to say one last thing about the Labour article before before we move on. Sure. Is yeah, that we, we come back to policies. Like if if you're considering uh, voting for Keir Starmer, uh, as it stands right now, just ask yourself like what does Keir Starmer stand for? 
it doesn't it, it doesn't really stand for anything, and I think people will probably get the chance to see that soon enough. Well, yeah, I mean, I mean nobody can until... vote for him right now. Yeah, I know. Let, yeah, <laughs> let's 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 wait and see if uh, um, when a, when a manifesto is is launched and when policies start being being enacted. Um, a quick, a, actually, I had a question about that because I I'm not I don't know. Um, how quickly are policies generally uh, outlined after a change of leadership? In a, it in depends a party? on the leader. Jer- um, Jeremy Corbyn got to it very quickly, I believe. Yes, because he is somebody who has always been policy focused, and whether you agree with the policies or not. That is one thing that you can never criticise Jeremy Corbyn of is not being sure about what he wants. I mean, he's been fairly consistent throughout his political career about what he wants to see in society. Um, yeah. And one Except thing... maybe when it comes to Brexit. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. okay, the one area that you probably could criticise him <laughs> on is Brexit. But um, yeah, it was incredibly quick and it hasn't, been, it hasn't been quick enough. And what the country needs to see now and what it boggles the mind that, that this hasn't been clearer from the opposition throughout this time, whether whether you look at Brexit or you look at, at coronavirus or, or the climate, for example, is a lack of clarity in what policies would be implemented if the Tories weren't in government. If, if we saw a Labour government, as George says, if we had a Labour government tomorrow, what would that government stand for? And that is still unclear. And it's not, that is, it's not good enough. Yeah. You put it very well there. <laughs> <laughs> I'll move on to, to sure, current events yeah. now then, if that's uh, okay with you guys. Um, so, uh, according to a BBC article from the 21st of September, so a few days ago now, um, the husband of one of the largest conservative donors, Lubov Chernukin, I probably butchered that, um, was secretly funded by a Russian oligarch by the name of Suleiman Kerimov, uh, who has close ties to the Kremlin. Um, the article makes sure to point out that Chernikin's lawyers have said the donations are not tainted by Kremlin influence. Um, Chernikin herself has given £1.7 million to the Conservative Party um, and has paid to spend time with the last three Prime Ministers, including Boris Johnson. Um, in light of the, the Russia report being released a couple of months ago and it being sort of largely ignored, um, do you think there's a reason that it's... Uh, or do, do, does a lack of investigation worry you if you see these kind of headlines? So it's ultimately up to the authorities to have an investigation if they feel that's needed. And uh, this is still relatively new, um, and, we, and we, we, we'll see if there's an investigation. And if there is, I hope we get I hope we get to the bottom of it. If this uh, if if this is dirty money, which I, which I really hope it isn't. Does it worry you, George? Does it worry me? Um, yeah. I would never want to see our party. Uh, come under that sort of influence. Uh, yeah. the, the the Kremlin sponsors horrible human rights abuses, and uh, they are uh, and how how they treat their own people. I think is frankly abhorrent. It is essentially a dictatorship in Russia. I would not want to be taking money from the Russian government. Full stop. Um, so yes, if it, if it, if it is investigated, I hope we get to the bottom of it. But if it isn't investigated, there's there's probably a reason why it hasn't been investigated by the authorities that they they, they might not have have enough reason for suspicion. Um, yeah. A couple couple things I'll just want to point out on this one because I, I don't feel that there's a great deal we, we we can talk about on this one. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah. like we've currently got a for- our, our, our current foreign secretary Dominic Raab. He's a former human rights lawyer. He does take he does take this seriously, and and you can see the the current conservative government is taking seriously uh, human rights abuses in Russia. We've I mean uh, when most recently we I think we froze Russian assets. Uh, uh, I think it was in July. So 
yes, I, I hope, I hope it, I really hope it isn't dirty money. And if it's not being investigated, it most likely isn't. But obviously, I'm not. I, d- I don't work with the authorities. I, I, I can't comment really. Yeah, I mean, the the thing for me with the the and there isn't loads specifically on the the donations that we could comment on. The Chinookins are, I believe, British citizens. Um, they are British citizens. Uh, I think. Um, isn't Chernikin the biggest female donor in political history? I think. Um, oh, maybe. Yeah, I'm, no. pr- I mean, I'm pretty sure she's donated a lot of money to the Tory party. They, did they? They fled Russia. I'm pretty sure. Uh, um, I I don't know. Oh, well, I right. we'll go to uh, confirm that or not? Yeah, I'm 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 pretty sure that they 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 fled. They came here after after fleeing Russia. Um, they. Uh, there doesn't seem to be from them specifically any illegality. It's where this money has come from. I, I think it should be investigated anyway. I think any instance of um, possible uh, foreign intervention in in UK politics should be investigated. Uh, even if we don't have loads of evidence um, to suggest it, there needs to be a thorough investigation just to see if there has been. Um, and I don't think the Conservative Party should be worried about that and if if they are worried about that or if, or if they don't want to launch an investigation i think that raises more red flags for me personally yeah as, as I will I say, it's, 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 it's actually it, it is the it's in the authorities hands if they want to launch an investigation into it yeah i, I mean uh, for me it's the, the the russia report and the lack of action on the russia report is more uh the the problem um here and what we saw was the the russia report was released um and didn't it, assent- it essentially said that there wasn't any evidence that there wasn't Russian interference in the Brexit vote, and that yeah, there needs so to be clarity. The, the, the Russia report, from what I can remember, uh, it it didn't go particularly into details. It it, 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 it essentially suggested that there, that there may have been, but it couldn't really prove it. Yeah. So, so why not investigate that? Huh? Or it could it could be it could it it, it could be picked up for investigation, but I'm not sure what you'd be able to prove. But the Russia report w- was an investigation within itself. Like, how, no, how it much wasn't. further can we go there? Well, it was an investigation into whether there should be an investigation, essentially, yeah. or whether you know, wasn't it? And it said that was it was is that right, Brett, or am I wrong there? I mean, I don't know what the official term for it, but it wasn't an investigation because it was more of a a um uh I, I don't really know. Maybe it is an investigation, but it didn't look into anything and it didn't search to find evidence it was more of a um these things have happened should we wasn't it was, look into yeah I, my understanding was more it looked at whether there was sufficient investigation into whether there had been interference so it was it was an investigation into whether or not there had been sufficient sufficient investigation into the issue and what they determined was, was that there was not so that there, there was there was a possibility that um, there was there has been Kremlin inter- interference into the the into UK politics and influence into UK politics. Um, there hadn't been sufficient investigation sufficient investigation into that, and that's what the Russia report showed. And it basically it basically outlined the fact that we do need to investigate this. This is something that, that there is a massive possibility that this has occurred whether intentionally or unintentionally or whether it was known about or not known about and this is something that we need to we need to know clearly about i'm not one of these people that that is like a hundred percent there is 
massive Russian interference in, in the UK government and that loads of people in the UK government know about it. But if there is any kind of Russian interference, I want to know about it. I don't want foreign powers, especially those who abuse uh, human rights as often and as cruelly as Russia do, who sponsor awful regimes abroad. I don't want them anywhere near my democracy. And I think that's something that we definitely need to, to look into. I don't care who's in government and I don't care what party it seems like they're trying to influence. That is something that we need to know about. And that's kind of... That's that's the real essence yeah, of it I, for I, me. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you on I agree with you on that one, Jack. And uh, so, if you look at the Russian government's foreign policy objectives and what and what, and what if you look at their behaviours and what they're trying to accomplish, yeah. uh, it doesn't look like and it's the same in America as well. It doesn't look like they're trying to sponsor any, any political party. What, what what they're really interested in is creating those divisions essentially yeah. within within the country they they yeah. really really want to have uh, western democracies like us like in the us divided and i feel yeah. like that that's where they have us right now uh, i don't think the government has explicitly stated that, that that they won't do it yet so may, may, maybe they will pick it up but i'm not the government so i i, I really can't say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> let's hope so and, but yes. um like so so i would say look if, if you if you really want to to, to fight uh, potential russian influence in, into into your democracy what i'd say is do things like demographica don't don't hate your opposition talk to them yeah yeah absolutely could have said it better i think the i think the concerning part for me is that um these these sort of stories seem to be happening quite often i i've i seem to remember seeing a similar story about donors in the conservative party though it might have been the same ones not sure but i think the the lack of of action even if they haven't decided if they're going to do an investigation yet the lack of action um after the russia report was released a couple of months ago or the fact that it was blocked from being re released back in at the end of yeah, last year yeah that raises questions to yeah, me and makes me um more doubtful that anything will actually happen yeah well, that any investigation well, yeah, will happen. maybe it, it should have come out sooner but there's not much that we can do about that now but of course if if if, the, if there is bad money going in uh, I want to get investigated, but unfortunately, you, you, well, no, unfortunately, it is good. You, you, you can't launch an investigation just because of where someone comes from. It's uh, so it's, it's very it's very difficult for to be able to specify where, when someone is that is 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 a bad actor or just giving money to certify. Sure, but that's I mean that's the point of an investigation, right? It's mm -hmm. to find out whether there are bad actors involved. Yeah, exactly, but you 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 have to have a uh, you have to be you you have to be able to prove there's a a good suspicion there first. Sure, I think and, that and, has and the been, fact that that's, they're that's Russian can't can't be a can't, no, can't I, be I, yeah. I don't think anyone's saying that really. I, yeah. I, I don't. Think well, no, I, 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 don't, I, don't, I, I, I worry some people. Are, I don't think you are right now, but I, I worry some people do see someone who would be Russian giving money. And they're like, oh no, that they that they, they, they must be evil. Right. Fair enough. Uh, the next current event topic that I wanted to talk about was the uh, what uh, the Chancellor Rishi Sunak announced on Thursday to try and uh, support businesses throughout the winter. Um, he basically announced a job support scheme that aims to keep uh, to have businesses keep their workers um, during the winter. Um, the scheme sees workers being paid for the time they work by their employer. Uh, but the cost of hours that not worked will be split between the government and the employer, mm -hmm. um, and the worker will take a pay cut. Yeah. So, so basically, so the government is paying a third of workers' salaries and the salary and the um, the 
the the employees are taking are, are, are having a, a pay cut. Yes. So um, it, what 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 this is all about is being able to support people to c come back to work essentially, and and that's and that's what we need. We we need to get people earning their salaries, people people getting back to work to try and get the country uh, to some semblance of moving again. Sure. Um, I think it's important to point out as well that in his speech about it, he did specify that the scheme wouldn't save every job yeah. and yeah. that employment I think, would I, I, unemployment I think, sorry, would rise. Uh, of course, the government would, would love to save every job and every business, but we're, we're going into a completely unprecedented crisis and it's, it's just not possible. It's, it's really sad to have to give people bad news, but we have to really get real with this and, and bite the bullet that there, there will be damage and all, and all current plans can do from any government that's in position would be to mitigate that damage. Do you think they're doing enough to mitigate that damage, George? Yes, I think they're doing everything they can. So originally, so w when this first started, so let's remind ourselves of the context here. So in March, when it, w w when, w when we got hit, when we went into lockdown, uh, you've got Rishi Sunak, and as you said earlier, he's the uh, to a lot of people, he's the shining star. But like he he he, he basically <laughs> maybe he wouldn't go that far. <laughs> but, um, he 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 did have to hit he hit the ground running. He'd only been chancellor for about a month. Uh, he, and then, and then, when this first offer chancellor, he essentially had to work very, very quickly to create to to create a a, a blanket scheme to save as many people as possible to uh, to, to to keep them ha having money uh, over lockdown whilst they couldn't work, and that was where the furlough scheme came from. So that, that's what they had there, and it, and it, I think everyone said it was an incredibly generous scheme to prevent complete fallout. Yeah, just to interject quickly, sorry to interrupt you. Do you think the furlough sh scheme should be extended? No. Why not? Because the government, fr frankly, the, the the government cannot keep uh, it. it the, the government couldn't afford to, to keep paying everyone's salary for another six months. We we we, ha we have to help people get back to work. We have to get to, we we have to start finding a way to get back to some sort of semblance sort of normality. So if so, I think the problem we would run into is if we replace the job support scheme with an extension of the furlough scheme is that yeah. we would hit that dreaded cliff edge where the f that, that first scheme would run out and those people would have would have uh, nowhere left to go back to. Why can other countries around Europe that are smaller economies than us afford to extend their furlough schemes for a year, but we I, can't? I, I don't think they can, and they're going to run, they're going to run some really? very serious problems soon. Why, so do you think that, obviously, the, the Chancellor's accepted that um, the, the people are going to lose their jobs because of this? I think... Anyway, that that a, a chancellor saying that um, lots of people are going to lose their jobs, and he's admitted that we are going to see probably the highest levels of unemployment in recent history um, because of this. And there isn't, there has hasn't been the any provisions put in place for people that are going going to lose their jobs. Yeah, so uh, I actually wanted to, I did want to touch on this a little bit. Uh, so I I I really hope in the the, the next phase of support because I, I don't think this is the last phase, but in, in the next phase of support, we do see additional support for people who are who who aren't going to be getting their jobs back. And, what would you like to see? What? Well, so so think, so if if we if we look at this crisis, so it's, it's essentially forced everyone indoors, and and that means it's. Essentially, it's it's uh, it's partly accelerated a shift in the a shift in the job market that was already coming. If you, yeah. So where the rise of the online economy, a rise in automation, yeah. and and these things were, were were happening in the long term, but now because we've been forced into it, it's now happening a lot faster. So mm -hmm. I would and as so well, I would like to see 
the next phase of support, which helps people, um, which will help people lose their jobs, help them to to retrain for jobs that complement the, okay. the next industrial revolution, essentially. So I, I think that's somewhere where, where where the government could improve on there, actually. What do you think about universal basic income? I thought you were going to say it. I thought you were going to say universal basic. No, income. I don't like. I don't like UBI. Really? Mm-mm. What that would that would be a, a an effective policy that would help people to retrain because of this changing in the economy. Oh, so um, uh, this, this it would support be, people it, yeah, that, so that are going to lose their jobs. It would ensure that people had surplus. Uh, had expendable income to put back into the economy so they could support jobs they could support their markets locally that have been so incredibly impacted by um, the coronavirus so, uh, so, if, so talking about UBI so what you just mentioned there I, 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 I might I might support something like that if it was a if it was a temporary measure to help people get their expendable income and, and retrain uh, yeah. what you're talking about there as, uh, as the UBI uh, this actually reminds me of a 2019 policy from the Lib Dems called the Skills Wallet. If you, if you remember that one, right? Where essentially, uh, I, I I feel like we could adapt a policy similar to that. Which uh, so you, you you can call it UBI, but giving money to people uh, specifically so they can retrain with new jobs, which are which, which will take them into the take them into the future, and. Like whether that's done via giving them the money directly, or whether that's done by the government providing the training directly, um, that's that is a matter of detail. But yeah, so 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 when you when you said UBI, I thought I thought you meant UBI on, on a permanent basis, and that, and that, that is something. I like would support. be I I support UBI on a permanent basis. I think that we need to massively overhaul the welfare system in this country, and I think universal basic income would be a fantastic way to do that. Um, but the, the thing is, for me, is that this policy. You saw the unions come out um, and the, the sort of business, like the CBI and the Trade Union Congress and um, uh, Unison saying that this this was a welcome first step. That seemed to be the message that this was that we're glad to see action. We're glad to see that something has been announced that will help that will help to retain jobs. But this term viable jobs kept being used. I don't really know what that means. Yeah, so it's unclear I, I, as to I, I, what when, jobs when I, are going to be heard protected. viable jobs. Um... I, I was quite curious too, actually, yeah. and uh, I think there's going to be further clarification to come out in that soon. Well, I hope so because I, uh, that's been yeah, yeah, like, no, one Rishi, of the criticisms. Rishi, Rishi did say it directly. Yeah, that's been one of the, the the main criticisms of all of these policies is that they've been unclear. And and for a party that bangs on so much about providing clarity for business, all of these messages seem to be so unclear. There there doesn't there isn't certainty. There isn't certainty with COVID protections. There isn't certainty with Brexit. Um, and what we are going to see is people lose their jobs because this scheme isn't uh, wide enough. And I completely agree that we need to get people back to work as soon as possible. Well, I wouldn't. I, we, I just want to stop you there. I wouldn't say people are losing their jobs because of the scheme. They're losing their jobs because they of will, COVID, George, and, that, and the scheme is trying to help that. But they could but implement so, a scheme the, that was the, more the, effective and less is, people is, would is lose their jobs. People out their jobs. It, it's, it's, help, it's helping people retain them. Well, it indirectly will, because if you implemented a scheme that was more effective, companies would have the ability to keep more people on. Well, yes, of course. It, it, for, for some people, yes. Like, uh, we, we, as you said earlier, we would like to save everyone's jobs, but we literally can't. We are not in that. We are not in that position, and that's why I said I would like to see something that can, uh, that that can that that can pivot skills in this country to allow people to have. The, that's have a the long-term right. solution, though, isn't it? That is. Yeah. It is a long-term that solution. That doesn't but exactly. It's, it's what we need. 
yeah, doesn't give to, much could, hope to those who yeah, are losing so, their jobs. Yeah, do we what do we say to people that are are going to lose their jobs? The chancellor has admitted we are going to see these massive levels of unemployment. Are these people just expected not to be able to cater for themselves? No, they they'll obviously be able to go onto the welfare scheme or be able to have or, or have to or be moving on to other jobs. But so I, I universal like credit them. is the the backup. Sorry, universal credit would be the backup. Oh, essentially, yes. We, we, we have to rely on the, on the existing wel- welfare structure. But yes, like peop- it is a great shame that people will lose their jobs. It is, it is, a, it is a tragedy. Like, it's not something we obviously want to happen, but we, we have to go with what we have available to us. And, and this and this is uh, what we can do to support the amount of people we can. And, and we'll see when it, when this scheme starts, how many people, uh, how many people will, will, will have their yeah. job saved by it. It isn't, yeah, it isn't exactly known yet, but we'll find yeah. out soon enough. It's, it's very difficult to, to criticise this policy just yet because we don't know what these viable jobs are. It, might, think... it might be very far-reaching. Yeah, I think something that was really has been really striking for me was at the start of the pandemic when Rishi Sunak took um, the Chancellor role, he said, no amount of money is too much to stop the British people from being impacted by the coronavirus. Mm-hmm. And now the message is, there is an amount of money that is too much to save your job. There is a lack of... Um, support there is going to be a lack of support for you people are going to be damaged we're very sorry about that but there's nothing we can do and i I just don't think that that's true i think that there's policies that have been implemented abroad um, and that have been implemented in the past that would protect people there are ideas out there it's not that there's there's a lack of ideas as to how to support people so we're going to see people lose their jobs that are, are that are continuing their versions of the furlough scheme uh as i said earlier they're they're going to find the problems in, in in the longer term Sure, but these these aren't just one. It's not like we can only implement one policy. We we can have uh, protections for those to keep to keep people in work. We can have protections to keep people um, to protect people who are going to be unemployed uh, and not being able to find jobs for a long period of time. And we can ensure that there's a long term plan to help support people in the future. It's not that there's this rule where we can only have one policy to protect people at a time. You can you can plan for all of these short term and long term implications, which is why I would argue for something like universal basic income and 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 there needs to be more support for people who are going to be without a job and who are going to be long-term either unemployed or underemployed um and and to say that that these people that are going to be unemployed the people that are going to lose their jobs are going to have to survive on universal credit um a a a, a policy that's been massively criticized as not being effective enough and not uh, having enough resources to protect people pre-covid when you're having loads more people go onto the benefit system after COVID and you expect that to be robust enough to survive, I, I think is is uh, naive. Well, as, as I said earlier, so yeah, so we're, going, we're going to have to use the, the welfare system, but say universal credit isn't suitable. I I know someone who 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 is on the universal universal credit scheme and he used it to uh, and he and he and he he lived on that and he was able to get back to work within about six months. Obviously, when this was, was that? This, this was pre this was pre COVID. So this yeah. is about uh, just over a year ago. And um, but yes, um, there there will probably have to be additional funding directly uh, additional funding directed into the welfare scheme to be able to uh, to, to be able to support the new support these job losses but yeah. i do hope these people will be able to find other jobs in, in other places which are which are open but um like i'm sorry but th- 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 this this was going to happen it's it, it, it's a great shame but there is like not a lot we, we can only freeze these jobs for so long 
they that th- th- there will be the point where the, the jobs ha- will will fall off at the end of, end of that scheme. But using what? things things like the job support scheme means that we can essentially uh, we can phase it through essentially so that, so there isn't the cliff edge of mass unemployment i've i've heard business owners say that um they have jobs that they're not going to be able to support at the moment that would survive post-covid what would you say to those business owners so could you repeat that so that the business owners have jobs mm-hmm. that at the moment they can't support but in the future post-covid will survive and the furlough scheme is the only thing stopping is is the only thing protecting those jobs at the moment. Well, hopefully but they'll that, be there post COVID. That, that, that means after after the after the fallout has uh, has 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 worse. That that means that means hopefully it will be easier for some people to go back to those jobs. But the, the, it, they, those people aren't going to be able to survive between now and post COVID. That's the point. Well, they will be able to survive because they can rely on the existing welfare. But it's not it's not robust enough. Is is this is this is the thing is that there aren't like I said previously there aren't the protections in place for people all in in all stages of employment, underemployment or unemployment to protect them enough. It's all well and good your mate being supported on on um, universal credit, which I think is fantastic. But when you've got somebody that needs to feed three children and the only thing that's enabling them to do that at the moment is the furlough scheme they don't know if they're going to have a job or pay at the end of uh, october well hopefully, hopefully, hopefully they will know soon as as the businesses get more clarity on the job support scheme that, that they can realize uh, that they can uh, get full clarity on who they and who they can bring back and what they can support so so that the, the, there will be people and hopefully the job support scheme does mitigate the damage enough that most of the people who are on the furlough scheme are able to come back to work full time uh, i know a lot of people who were initially on the furlough scheme when it first started were, were brought back uh, full time yeah. whilst the furlough scheme was still running and a lot of businesses actually gave back money for, to the government that, 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 that yeah. they received but like like the, the people who are not caught by which I think is so far a very wide-reaching net will, will will be put onto the welfare system until they can get until they can get the job they need. And yes, but, it, it is a tragedy, but the government is doing exa- exactly what it can and, and having to balance the short-term damage versus the long-term damage. Yeah. And the job support scheme is is very it is forward-thinking. It is thinking about what is the long-term damage of uh, of of the furlough scheme. I would agree with what you said about the furlough scheme being effective. I, I think it's been the best policy that's been implemented in, during COVID. I think it's been the one area where the government deserves um, the government deserves credit. But that's why I would urge this an extension. That's that's that would be, you know, that's my. Well, yes, of course, it, it would and, be. And it, 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 it would, it would be work. great if 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 we lived in a world where we could we, where we could fund everyone's jobs for as long as we needed to. But unfortunately, we, we really don't. That's not and what we, people are saying, though, George, is it? That, that, yeah, but that's nobody's saying fund people's jobs entirely forever. Mm-hmm. It, it's it's about protecting these jobs through the COVID period, which was unforeseen. That it wasn't some life choice that people had. Yeah, of it course was, it wasn't a choice. It hit everyone's surprise. And, like, and, and you forget, if, I, I, I'm one of these people. I, I, I would be at risk of, lo- of potentially lo- losing yeah. my job. I, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a worker in the UK too. But, yeah, of course. But like, we do, we do have to get, we do have to, to bite the bullet. But this is, a, this is the job support scheme is wide reaching. We are offering to, sorry, not we, the government <laughs> are offering to, uh, offering to pay a lot of people's salaries to, to help, to help them stay. They're in work. offering to pay a third of a lot of yes. people's yes. salaries. 
Uh, I know for, jo- for viable jobs, whatever, whatever that yeah, means. Yeah, there'll be more want, clarity on that later. Companies want people back in work. So if you've got somebody on the furlough scheme that can come back and contribute to the business and earn money for the business, people want employee companies want employees back. Yeah, it isn't a case that people are just uh, shelling people onto the furlough scheme so they don't have to to pay them. Well, it might be the case in in a few circumstances, but pe- put work uh, companies want workers back contribute into the business and if they can go back they will go back um the, but those that can't I, I worry for them yeah i i i, I would I, I would worry for them too i i know people who have been put on the furlough scheme who aren't relatively high and, and would be and would be in damage uh, if they yeah. they'd be in serious trouble if they did if they did lose their jobs and of course it's a it's a horrible tragedy to lose your job if you suddenly lose all, all, all your income on, on a day and you, you don't know where to go and obviously you, you'd have to go into universal credit it is um it's a it'd be absolutely horrid experience yeah. but we're in a hor- we're in a horrid time right now and we've got a government which is doing all, almost all it can to, uh, to 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 support these people with uh, and, we, and we've got the job support scheme which which is what it's doing it's going to help people get back to work what, what, what we're really about is like make people independent independent again allowing them to work by making it easier for employers to bring them back it is it, it using this scheme it will be cheaper for employers to bring back their employees and hopefully that means that they'll be able to bring back more people let's hope so yeah yeah i mean i hope that what you're that you're saying that uh you said you heard that apparently did Sunak say that he was going to provide more uh, clarification on, on uh, well, support I don't think he was the... doing it personally I think it would be coming from the treasury right. okay well I hope that that's true because I do think that there are probably a lot of uh, people who will lose their jobs that aren't going to have even aren't going to get enough support from universal credit um, and I think that they're probably people from industries that are being that have been neglected quite a bit during the uh the outbreak such as i'm thinking like the arts industry or yeah. the, the the catering industry and customer service industry but industries um and i do worry that the, the job support scheme on its own isn't enough to reassure these people especially considering that it's such a volatile time we have no idea how long uh the uh the outbreak is going to continue for and we don't know if these people will be able to find jobs within the next few months or, or not so I think some reassurance there would probably be ideal. But, yeah, um, hopefully, hopefully, more be coming from the treasury in the future. Yeah. But it's it, it is going to be it's going it's going to be a, a rough ride for a lot of people, and it's going to be no tend to be that. awful. Yeah. And I really hope we can see a lot more of that community spirit that we saw back in March and April when the when the outbreak first happened, and we can see people a lot of people coming together to support each other if if they if they do lose their jobs. I feel like if we uh, if everyone sticks together. We can get through this. Um, I will finish off with some quick fire questions, if that's cool with you guys. Yeah. To start with, um, I've got: if Biden wins the U.S. election, do you think there will be violence? There's already violence. Biden yeah. wins. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I would also answer yes. Sadly, I don't. I felt a bit. If he put there, in this question, there, because there, I don't want to. Be, in my opinion, there'll be there'll be violence no matter what. This is a really, really, really emotional election for a lot of people, and what what's going on in America right now is uh, very, very, very high stakes. A lot of people are very invested in it, and a lot of people yeah. do get violent, and uh, and you can see it's already happening now. And I feel like that will carry on after the election. 
Yeah. Yeah. Sad state of affairs. Yeah, it is, yeah. Uh, next question is, it's a general question. Do you trust the media? Poor, bloody hell. So I'm talking... Quite a broad question. <laughs> I'm talking... <laughs> it is, it is. I'm talking all uh, media organisations and not social media. To an extent. So, uh, yeah, but, yeah, but... Yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah, sorry. I'll, t- I'll tell you, to an extent, where I could, I can I can read something, and I'd say, oh, that's interesting. Uh, but I would also want to try and fight for myself. Right, so yeah, I, I don't, yeah. I don't take their word as gospel, but I'll, I'll read it and not think, oh, that's a lie. <laughs> so it's important not to look at the media as a single entity. Um, so yeah, there are places that I go to that I trust more than others, and I, I, I read around, get your your sources from multiple outlets, read from lots of places, listen to lots of different views, and trust yourself to come to the right conclusion when providing yourself with the means to do so you know read widely listen to lots of people listen to people from all sides of the the spectrum and figure things out for yourself i only ask this question because i feel like i've grown incredibly skeptical of any any media (laughs) (laughs) any media outlet yeah Yeah. of course of Um, course you could trust demographica of course course. the only place Next question: Is the Black Lives Matter movement overall positive or negative? I'll let you go positive. first, Jack. Positive. The movement and not the organisation. The movement. I think it's important to clarify that. Yeah. So, as you know, I wrote this. This, this is the first of the thing I wrote about for Demographica. Um, I feel it comes from it comes from a good place, and the reason it exists is valid. Uh, but yes, as I said. Uh, I feel like it may have turned into something which isn't what it started to be. So, oh, is is there a nuance option? <laughs> always. I can always. Yeah, sure. I can leave a, a nuance. Is fine. It's it's um, so important that these issues are being more raised aware of, and a conversation is being started as to how we can approach to fix these issues. And to me, that's what the Black Lives Matter movement has done. Yeah, is... I'll, I'll, I'll always support racial equality. Um, but I worry that the Black Lives Matter movement turned into something else. The or, or at least the organisation did as well. Yeah. The organisation took a very bad turn, in my opinion. There's there's no debate as to whether there is systemic racism, both in the world at large and in this country. There, it, it exists. And there, there, we yeah, need to, racism, we need to fix racism, that. racism is a horrible thing. Where, where the debate lies, where the debate lies, is how do we move forward and tackle it? That's where the debate lies. I would say positive. <laughs> um, next question: cookies or cake? Cookies. Cake. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I I think I'd say cookies as well. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I wrote this cookies question. Like I, I, like I, I, I didn't expect this question to be the most divisive one. A, a chocolate chip. I always. It's uh, the, the food ones are always the most divisive. You would rather <laughs> the thing is, the thing, a, a chocolate chip cookie. It's like you. It, 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 it's a portable snack. As well. well, you can carry a cake around, George. <laughs> <laughs> I look a bit weird carrying a cake around. Well, I, I would always take a, like a nice slice of Victoria sponge over a See, Maryland love... cookie. Okay, how, I how, love how about cookies sponge. and cream cake? No, too sickly. No. <laughs> I love Victoria sponge, but I'm more often disappointed by cake than I am by cookies. I'll tell you really? what, if you, if you like cake and cookies, yeah. go, go to Millie's Cookies and get one of those massive cookies, which is like a cake. That's good. <laughs> nuance. <laughs> nuance, yeah, that's the nuance. Uh, final question. Do you believe in life after love? <laughs> <laughs> I do. 
do. Yes. <laughs> I yeah. Do. I think it's important to believe that there is life after love. What a beautiful way to end. And on that note. <laughs> George, thank you so much for joining us. Fa- mate. Thank you yeah, for having thanks me. For coming, it's, been, it's been great to talk to you guys. Yeah, and just, it it's so nice to um, have uh, people from all different backgrounds to come on and, and spar about different ideas. I think that that encompasses, and this conversation in particular encompasses what we're trying to do. Um, and I would urge sure. those that are on the right, that are conservative supporters or Brexit party supporters or whoever, send us articles and have your opinion heard as well, because we need to ensure that there is a balance of, of views and opinions. And I really would urge young people that are are censor right or censor or right wing to feel like they have a place um, on our platform to to be heard as well. Yeah, for sure. Uh, George, is there any are there any social medias that you might want to promote or anything that you wanted to generally talk about? Uh, to I'm, get not, people to I'm not I'm not a big social media person to be honest, but if you, if you want to follow Fair me, enough. I'm on Twitter and Instagram as at uh, George double underscore Holt. <laughs> cool. And also make sure to read his articles on demographic. Absolutely. The, the website. Uh, if you ha- want to get in touch with us and uh, get, share your opinions on the podcast or send us in some articles, feel free to at uh, on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Demographica UK or email us at info at Demographica UK dot com. Um, I almost tripped up on that then. <laughs> <laughs> uh, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you all next time. Thanks. Bye. Bye.